0: I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around, and now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are, how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Today, we are talking about the pros and cons of merging practices, potentially having strength in numbers. You probably have colleagues and buddies, and maybe even local nearby competitors where your practice, whether it's physical therapy, dental, anywhere else in healthcare, What are the pros and cons of potentially merging with nearby practices, whether they're similar to you or maybe they have specialties that you don't have? We're going to get into all of that. I'm Dave Kittle, owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. And we're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all their practice. If that sounds like you, feel free to reach out. And today we have Dr. D. Todd Russell. Back on the show, DDS, dentist extraordinaire, multi-multi-practice owner. He's got a lot going on. And the one thing that he's got going on that we're going to get into is uh colleague and him, Chris that's that's also been on the show before, of what they're doing kind of at a high level of potentially grouping together dental practices and dental owners to merge in a way that's less about like pure acquisition with like a normal strategic buyer or a corporate buyer this is a little bit of a different angle.
1: Dr. D. Tadre, so welcome back on the show. Good morning. Thanks, David. Well, thank you for having me back. It's fantastic to be talking to you once again. Love being on your show. Love the content that you have. And your guests have been extraordinary and I think very helpful to a lot of people in both of our spaces. So thanks for having me back. I appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Excellent. You, I forget if, I think you and Chris mentioned this to me when you guys visited New York City and you were talking about the idea or the the early dynamics of communicating with some of these practice owners Mm -hmm. about merging and long story short, it's like you and the the game plan is kind of like if we all merge together, which is not easy and we're going to get into that and the challenges and all that. But if you group together, let's just say eight or whatever number of practices you could eventually, if you wanted to, as a group exit or sell for a higher multiple, than if all those eight practices sold separately on their own, and that's like the spread, the uh, arbitrage, like if they sell on their own, maybe it's a three or four or five X exactly. multiple. And if they're all together, I don't know, maybe it's eight or nine X multiple or some you know something like that. So basically, if a practice owner is gonna venture into this and merge with other colleagues and competitors or buddies practices, they could potentially exit at a higher overall dollar amount that they will actually receive upon exiting. It sounds easy, so what are what are what's the background what are some of the challenging components it's obviously not as easy as the way i just described it so let's get into like why
1: and and some of the background of it sure so first of all there's 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 two ways you can go about this okay you could go talk to your friends in in the neighborhood and you could develop and build a you could start a small company. Let's call it an LLC for lack of an argument here, and you could all join that, right? And you could have this lockdown agreement that says, "Hey, we're going to explore this for the next year or two, and these are the goals that have to be met in order for all of us to to do this." Okay, so and then you negotiate as one, and in that case, who's your lead dog? You're going to need one spokesperson, whether it's a a broker like myself or Chris Vanderford. In my case, I'm the dentist. Chris is the longtime broker. So we work in tandem. So you bring us and we, we see what your goals are. We tell you whether they're realistic or not. We go forward. And if you create that company, though, the, the, the positive of that is you're unified under one umbrella. You're selling the one umbrella. The negative of that is that you have to go through the cost and the time of developing that thing. So you're going to need to have multiple attorneys involved and accountants involved, and that's going to cost everybody. I'm not a fan of that route. And the other reason why I'm not a fan of that route is because when it comes to negotiating with, let's say, a larger DSO or DPO, which are my favorites, the dental Partnership Organizations, you're going to become partners, you're going to sell a portion of your company. Each individual practice is not going to be, they're not going to be the same. And we've come across that where certain organizations are looking for practices, not just in revenue, but also in culture and dynamics and insurance acceptance and blah, 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 blah. And so you might bring together your friends, but you're a little bit different. Let's say one's a fee-for-service, one's a PPO. One might have state assistance. You guys are all great buddies. You're all making a lot of money. But then the buyer may say, we really don't want that uh, state assistance one. And that knocks that out. So here you've got this group that says we're an all or none. The other path is where everybody gets together and you have an agreement to negotiate together, but also directly, individually with the buyer. And that's, again, I think the value of having a broker like Chris or myself on your side. But let's say we bring the group of six practices, to, or eight practices in your example, to the potential buyer. The buyer then evaluates each practice independently and says, yes, we would like to partner with you. No, we wouldn't. Yes, we would. And then the groups that are out in our particular case, because that's happened to us we're dealing with them separately. We're going to pull them together in a different group with a different potential buyer. Whereas now a group that's left can individually negotiate, but ultimately all the groups know the multiple that they're getting. And by the way, you mentioned multiples. One thing that we have definitely seen recently is a decrease in the multiples. As interest rates go up, money gets more expensive, the buying multiple goes down. We've seen that on the individual practices as well as these group practices. So I think the days of uh, double-digit multiples are over for now. Hopefully they come back. But expectations have to be parlayed, which also means that your private single unit practice multiple has also dropped. So don't think that, oh, I can get four where I always got four on my own. And I used to, I can't get 10 now, I'll only get seven. No, you're going to be lucky if you get three, three and a half, and you'll get, you know, seven. So be wary of that. So long answer there, David. Sorry about that. But that's no, no, kind okay. of what it is. Those two paths pull together, create an entity, all be in the same house with the same goals or come together verbally and then negotiate individually, but have the multiple parlayed to the group. So you get the bigger number.
0: Now, the, the verbal is just verbal versus actually having one entity where that entity, it could be not a shell company, but it could be like a hold co, whatever it might be, LLC, whatever PLC. One's verbal. You're saying, or one is
1: like one is structured, act. one is unstructured, right? One is structured, right. one is unstructured. Is the best way to is the best way to put that? I'm not a fan of the structure because, especially in the dental field, we're all the sort of alphas. We kind of run our own show. We don't need too many cooks and too many opinions in the in the kitchen, if you will. While everybody needs to be in, we need a clear, clear. Voice or leader, uh, I think that's why I've recommended a broker being a, who's been experienced like Chris in doing this, bringing multiple groups to a thing to another organization. And like I said, I creating that entity is time and money spent that I don't think is worth it. Let the buyer spend all the money, all of that. They've already got the entity. Let's just say the power of the group is we're all going to negotiate together.
0: Got it. So, but the verbal can only go so far. Like, let's say you guys eventually do get. A buyer who's interested in this verbal group, right? But then mm-hmm. one or two, because it's verbal, one or two of these practices are going to drop off. I'm assuming you're going to yeah. kind of factor that in, right?
1: Right, and so we do, and we 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 start. The, and the best way to do that is say, listen, everybody just agree to listen to the pitch. Let's get the data over. Let's get the valuations done. Let's all agree, and then you have a choice. I, I can provide a great example. We had one guy that was in the group, and he got his offer, and while it was reasonable with the multiple. His issue was he was carrying too much debt, and so the initial and the way it was the way the deal was structured, there was an initial payment, and then there was a you know a payment later at a next uh, recap. The initial payment covered his debt, so he wound up selling his practice and really receiving no cash in the initial offer. Right? He's like, "I'm out, can't do it." And we're like, "You know what? You're absolutely right. Don't do it. I, I don't want you to do it." But you know that's.
0: What would be carrying right. too much debt, like 50% or 30% of, of revenue? Or like what,
1: like a prox- like no, without- I would say too much debt is what do, you, what do you realize at the end, right? When someone buys your company or buys your practice, they buy it debt-free. So the proceeds go first to pay off bank debt. So let's say your, your practice is doing, let's pick easy numbers here. It's doing $2 million, that's uh, 20% EBITDA, that's 400 and you're going to get five times. So you're going to get $2 million, right? What you're going to do is as a partnership group, in this particular case, you're going to roll a half a million dollars. So you're going to get a million in a check. And the other million, you're going to buy shares in the partnership organization. Okay. So that first million, there's a taxable event, right? You're going to have to pay taxes on it. Let's say you have $900,000 in debt. So you have to pay taxes. You have to pay off the 900. You got a million. You're in the hole because the taxes are more than more than the hundred that's left over after the debt. It's Not worth the deal. Yeah, you're carrying the million. You may as well work for two or three more years and bang down the debt as fast as you can. Now go to the table. Maybe you've increased productivity to 2.5 and now you're at half a million dollars in EBITDA and get maybe you took roll the dice and the, and the multiples have gone back up or they've gone down a little bit. But now you've got $200,000 in debt. That's much easier to handle. And that's, that's the case. I wouldn't say it's a percentage of revenue so much as it, it is how much is in your hand at the time of transaction. Now, how much is net in your, you know, net in your time? And that's where you need your accountant to help you determine what would be in the event of an event, how much money am I getting? And what am I taxable? What's my, uh, what's my taxable obligation?
0: Right. So I've had some colleagues, physical therapy colleagues reach out to me, or we've kind of talked in super, super high level, but like, oh, what if we, you know, I see what you're doing and what if we merge with this therapist, these different practices, whatever, what would that look like? Or like how, you know, kind of like, how could we partner or merge or whatever? So you talked about the structured versus unstructured. What do you like, is it down the line when you're talking about the integration process of like, I'm assuming everyone would have to have the same medical record or like the same billing and the same payroll and all those systems? And if so, would that be after this potential buyer were to buy this? I don't want to say hodgepodge, but it's kind of like this, yeah, you know, yeah. miscellaneous group of practices. Does the integration of all those systems then happen after that, or maybe it it could be one way or the other? It depends, maybe on your situation. It depends on the buyer and how much. If all the systems are disparate, I feel like that's going to take more work, so it could be more risk for the buyer, and then maybe the buyer offers less. I
1: don't know. Like, what are what are the, some of the considerations? Sure. So I've been in that situation, right, where we've been, and the, the buyer is going to say, "Well, we've got this integration process and." we've got six different ones we've got to integrate them all and right away i said okay stop right there because you like all six of these and you would buy you would buy each one of these individually is that correct yes and so if each one of these owners came to you individually you would buy them yes you yes we would okay great therefore you're going to integrate them anyhow and if you are a big enough buyer you have an integration team yes so their software isn't all the same Anybody that you buy the software is not saying, let's say you bought a group that was owned by one doc who had six practices and it was all software X, Y, Z, but you guys use software ABC. You're paying for integration regardless. So that to me is not necessarily an argument to, against the multiple. The multiple is going to be based on the, you know, on the what have you done for me lately um, revenue and then uh, resulting EBITDA for that company, for that practice.
0: What is the value add From you guys and your structure, whether it's the structure or unstructured, but the buyer would rather buy Dr. Todd and Chris Vanderford's group for one transaction, I'm assuming they save on legal Mm -hmm. fees, they save on time, and they buy the eight groups that you put together and that's easier for them. And then therefore they will pay more for it versus if they have to go buy and have eight separate transactions for the exact same eight practices. Is that basically like the main value add here?
1: Well, that's, yeah, number one, that's sure. Having, getting the eight practices all at one time is much easier for them. Our argument is geography too. We tend to be in the same state or the same region of a state when we're, when we're pulling these, these groups together. So you can bring in management and, and drop one overseeing manager over the umbrella much easier than them trolling one practice at a time and building that region. That's certainly one of the reasons why it's easier for them. The other reason why it would be attractive for them is, especially these bigger groups, let's say you are selling to a bigger group who's trying to, they themselves recap at some point, recap being sell uh, their EBITDA to the next bigger fish in line, right? So they want the more gross revenue, the more net EBITDA that they have or adjusted EBITDA that they have, they know the bigger valuation they're going to get. So, so this six practices is doing $9 million or $10 million. They love that idea of one hunk of click in 10 million, right? Click in $2 million. Perfect. We love that. Now with their systems and their operations, maybe over the next year or two, before the next recap, they could actually make it, you know, 2.5 million and $11 million in revenue and actually, you know, help themselves that way too. Right. And they, they feel like they can. The one group that we've been working with more recently they say that they can improve a practice um, by 11% on average in the first year of ownership. So you know, that's so a significant these are number. The, these are the potential buyers saying that? Potential buyers, yep.
0: So, and so you, now this is something that therapists and dentists and, and, and healthcare providers don't usually, they're not usually aware of, but so you're, you're kind of going upstream of like, before we even do this, let's go and identify a buyer. Like if we're going to go do this, it's like, you're already having that exit strategy ahead of time, which is awesome. I I know we've kind of talked about a little bit on the show, but some, some individuals might not understand that or might not realize that.
1: We shop to multiple buyers too. There's more than one out there, right? So you kind of get the feel for the group who's in charge Who would? What would we like this transaction to look like? If we brought together a group of older docs, let's say they're all in their 60s, their exit strategy is, I want out, right? I want to retire in two to three years, as opposed to a group that's in maybe their late 40s or early 50s who still have a timeline of five to 10 more years of clinical practice, right? So who are we selling to? Are we selling to a sort of dump and change? If that's the case, we're not going to get a very big multiple, even as a group because we're finding it harder and harder to replace the selling doctors very quickly, okay? If we have a younger long-time associate, we want them invested in the company, right? Or our partner. We want them to re reinvest into the company so that they're all in. And those are key words when we're talking to different groups. Some groups are okay with the sort of dump and change, as I call it. Take the doc, change the doc, and run it because there's, you know, allegedly their system's better than everybody else's versus a partnership group that wants the younger docs to stay on for a longer period of time. I guess there could be something in the middle of that too, you know, but those are the two that I see. Got it. So what are some things that,
0: I mean, I think the conversation so far is like, we're making it sound super simple. So we talked about some of the, so your hypothetical eight practices. So let's just say those eight, and they're all doing different revenue numbers and different profit numbers, right? So they're not all like, they're not all doing like I'm uh, right at a million dollars in revenue and, you know, two or three or whatever, hundred grand in, in adjusted EBITDA whatever. So how does that factor in, I guess, like, is it, so it's shares in the, the whole code, the, the structured, like how, how does that work? If everyone is oh. doing, everyone's at eight practices and they're like slightly different sizes. Some have more staff members, some have less. How does that factor in, in terms of like gathering these eight up and kind of potentially structuring them together?
1: Everything is being negotiated on an individual practice basis. This practice is doing this much. The doctor is going to stay on for this period of time. They're willing to sign this contract. This is the agreement of the contract. Then quality of earnings is done. And we've we've, uh, 85% of the way determined the EBITDA, but we know we've got to go through a quality of earnings and just make sure that that is the true number, that last 15%. You're looking at and discussing your own practices EBITDA The only place that the group comes in is where that the oversight from the broker or the lead person is to then say, okay, now you've determined this is $3 million in combined EBITDA. You'll get this all at one time for this multiple. That's it. It's just driving the multiple. That's the only thing that this group is doing. Now, if one doctor, and this is the verbal agreement, if one doesn't get the number he or she wants and they pull out. How does that affect the group? Ultimately, it has to be an all or none scenario, right? In order to negotiate the best number. Now, it could be that that doctor pulls out and then a year or so goes back and negotiates on their own with the same buyer after maybe cleaning up some debt, as we discussed earlier. They're not going to be privy to the same multiple now. No one's going to buy them at the seven times they're going to offer at the four times because they're a, a single entity. It's the only thing that the group is really doing is negotiating that bigger multiple.
0: Got it. And obviously you and Chris Vanderford would be doing a lot of time and effort. And you just mentioned travel and, and all this. So to kind of potentially get all these practices together. So is there like management fees? Is it you're gonna get some equity in the yeah. merge company? Like how how does that look like in terms of like sure. what what's in it for you? I mean, obviously you're you're doing a lot. And so there's, there's definitely some value there. So how does that look like in terms of like someone who's kind of you and Chris kind of leading this, um, this project, this initiative,
1: sure. it's just, it's, it's just like a real estate broker transaction, right? We, there's a, there's a fixed percentage of revenue. Uh, I shouldn't say fixed. There's a percentage of uh, total sale number that we take. We negotiate that a little bit. We start with a bigger number, but then we're willing to. We know that in some of these transactions, there's a pay now and a pay later. So we're always willing to work a little bit with our clients. But yes, we do get paid, and the reason why we get paid not only are we the ones with all the experience in we know all of the player, many of the players in the um, in the field, the buyers, right? We know a lot of them, um, but the, most of these practice owners don't necessarily know each other, right? They, but we know them, so, so it's your, your, the it's value of our your network, network. yeah. Yep it's our network. We brought you together to get this this uh, bigger multiple. And in our particular case, they've got Chris with 20 something years of experience on the uh, broker side. They've got me with, as someone approaching 10 years of experience as a, as a dentist in the, the buy sell transaction of practices experience. And so we, we can walk the walk and talk the talk with just about anybody. And so yeah, you got to pay us for our time. There's no question, but we feel like you get the best advice. And clearly, we don't get paid until the transactions done either. So, I think that's important. But just like any real, think a real estate transaction, same thing. What does a realtor get? Six percent. I think you know, for the most part, or the combined realtor six percent is kind of the going rate for um, housing real estate. So, it comes to my mind. So, similar, similar idea.
0: Got it. And this is just in the Dallas area. So, geographically, no you, you Cleveland, just... uh, Ohio. Oh, Cle- Ohio. oh you're you said you're traveling, down. traveling so that, that's to that's bounce. that's, that's unrelated down.
1: yeah unrelated totally unrelated <laughs> uh, right. off, off 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 camera conversation got that's it, it. <laughs>
0: okay so it's still in the cleveland
1: area cleveland ohio it's in ohio area is where we currently are so um chris is in columbus ohio i'm in cleveland ohio we've got clients in cleveland toledo columbus dayton um like I'm missing one, but yeah, uh, uh, Akron area. So we've got clients all over that we have uh, pulled together on one and are pulling together for a future one. So um, yeah, all over the state. And in our particular case, um, the, um, I I was going to say in our particular case, the state of Ohio is a very friendly state for multi-location ownership from a structure standpoint, from a Taxable standpoint, revenue standpoint, which makes it a very attractive place for groups that aren't currently in the state to land. So, and we've leveraged that too. Our clients.
0: What's some of the most pressing questions or fears, apprehensions of any of these uh, yeah. hypothetical eight that you and Chris have kind of spoken with and kind of mm-hmm. shown? Like, here's the here's the value difference in if you're going to go sell and exit on your own. It could be in the next 10, 15, 20, whatever years here's you know obviously it depends on interest rates it depends on the market it depends on some other factors but if you're going to go sell you're typically got, like we can show you comparables like here's usually what these size practices will sell for but then here's what your practice would sell for if you were part of this right. like, structured eight or whatever the, the group might be what are some of the pressing questions that i haven't asked that see some of these practice owners have asked you and chris
1: Sure. It's pretty easy. It's not, not, it's it's an easy answer, but obviously lots of complications around it. Look at, you're selling your practice. Um, Who are you about to get into bed with? You and I might be friends and own practices and we've merged them together this scenario or said, we're going to sell together to somebody else. But who's buying us? Who's the leadership team? What are they like? What's their experience? I can tell you from personal experience. You have somebody who's never done this before and they're pretending to do it. and They think they know how they're going to do it. They're going to drive it into the ground. What's the culture like of that group? Is it run by therapists or is it run by other people? And you have to be careful there. You're also giving up control of your practice. You have to understand that someone is going to be overseeing every penny. You have to be ready for that. Yes, you're a partner. And a lot of what we try to do is we try to, we, I'm encouraging dentists in particular to be part of partnership groups, no longer, um, solo management groups. And there's a multitude of reasons for that. But first of all, profit shareability is important. Um, and then exit strategy and when they're going to, when they're going to turn so you can make more money on your current shares. Um, but you have to make sure that you understand that you are selling your company. You are signing up for a long period of time. Several years um, they're going to want you not to leave they're going to want you to be happy, but you've got to make sure that you've asked all those questions in the dental space. It's dental labs and supplies. Am I going to get my same thing? It's going to use my same one and who's willing to say yes and no to you? So those are the questions you really have to to look deeply into. You're about to become an associate or a partner, and you no longer are the overseeing almighty of that practice. And so those are the challenges that you have to wrestle with in your head. Um, and I can sit down and talk to you, and you know, that's one of my strengths is to talk to doctors about what they're about. These are the things that I've seen personally, and I've seen from others, these are the areas you want to be most concerned about with this particular group. Got
0: it. Have you heard of, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Tillman Fertita. He's a restaurateur, so it's it's kind of a sidebar away from healthcare. So this guy, Tillman Fertita. He's bought things like Landry's. It's like a chain of, I don't know how many That's hundreds cool. of, of restaurants, mm-hmm. hotels, casinos, yeah. entertainment. He is the owner of the Houston Rockets. The reason why I'm bringing him up is because he's someone who buys things and then doesn't sell them versus mm-hmm. what you're talking about, which I, I understand. But can we just, I don't know, riff on this where like even like the Warren Buffett's is another example. Like, of course, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, they offload things, they'll sell things, whatever. but if practices if we identify great practices and we love the practice owners and the partners and the the team and all that i know it makes sense for many cases to have an exit strategy and and exit and sell but then there's also a lot of these examples of like these huge mega successful folks and it seems like they buy and hold so when you're talking about this type of a group or or any other type of partnerships or or the structured partnerships or any other type of transaction in healthcare, outside of healthcare, whatever it might be, you go to exit and sell, there's going to be the, the, of course, there's going to be some capital gains and there's going to be tax on that. And so if these practices are so great, why not hold them longer? Obviously, it depends on the market. The market dictates, you know, Mm -hmm. opportunities to sell at better prices or or now like lower multiples, you said, with higher interest rates. Any thoughts there on like... Doing sure. what you're doing, but like, why not hold it for right. you know, 20 years? Why? Right. I, I understand the idea of presenting like exit strategy, and you know, hey, if we group together, and then we can you know, sell to this PE firm or whatever. But why not just grow them organically, which you're going to do because you're competent, you're, you're experienced in that, you've done it a lot already, and hold them
1: indefinitely? But what are some of the pros and cons, or or the issues with that? Sure. So uh, that's it. It comes down to mailbox money. Let's say you, you go from one to two to three. Now you own four or five dental practices, right? I'm going to use that as my example. And maybe you're practicing a little bit clinically, but let's say you take a salary of a couple hundred thousand dollars and then the net leftover EBITDA, or let's go with operating income, not even net operating income, EBITDA level. Let's go after all debt and everything else is paid and you wind up making an extra six, eight hundred thousand dollars a year from your five practices. You took a salary of a couple hundred thousand because you're managing and practicing, but then the net number, why would you not sit back for the next 10 years and make a million dollars a year? Right? I mean, why you not? That too. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Again, I'm, I'm, my reference is dental, right? That's, that's my space. My argument against that at some point is human capital. <laughs> Humans are difficult. How much longer can you are you willing to? do you have the right team in place? Do they? In the dental world, it's a constant revolving door of dental associates. Do you have the right people to help you to manage that? And if you don't, okay, now maybe the bigger fish in the sea does, and that's where the sale comes in. You have to weigh cash flow to you personally for a period of time to against, okay, when are you done with that? And remember, I said, let's say, let's say, the let's say your round numbers, your EBITDA is your take home at the end of every year, your taxable income, uh, W2, as well as what's left over, is a million dollars a year. Someone comes along and offers you $8 million for that company, eight times that million dollars. And you got to stay around for two years. Hmm, $8 million invested the right way after taxes, blah, 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 then kicks off $800,000 a year. That's my tipping point. When my investment capital revenue is kicking off equal to or greater than what I'm earning, it's time to flip for me personally. That's Got my it. goal. Does that Got make it. sense? Absolutely. That's that's the logic that I would use in that situation. Cash if cash flow is great, but with it comes some headaches, especially in a people-oriented or brick and mortar type business like we're in, at some point when the when the sale can put you at a point where you truly have a 100% mailbox money, I'm done. Got Should it. say mailbox money, investment money, mailbox money is a little different.
0: Makes sense. With dentistry, I mean, in physical therapy and healthcare and medicine, there's been either declines, small declines in reimbursement or plateau in reimbursement. Are all the clinics that you previously have been affiliated with, or are they
1: all like in network or do you do some cash pay stuff or... Yeah, we do a little bit of both. We do uh, PPO and we're in that work. I I encourage doctors to still be in that work. And some of them, even though the fee reduction reduced, you know, there is a reduction against your fees. But, you know, we've all experienced the right supply costs have gone up, labor costs have gone up, reimbursement Mm -hmm. rates have stayed the same. So now's the time to negotiate. And I strongly encourage my clients. There's a couple of companies that I use uh, that that do it really well, let them do it for you. That's one of those things where you've got to just pay somebody, Uh, let them do it Right. right. Don't think you know it all.
0: So the reason why I brought it up is because do you foresee a time in the future, it could be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where whether it's for physical therapy, your physician, your dentist, whatever, like reimbursement continues to decline to the point where there's just, you know, like a safety net for like catastrophic care and like a lot more of it is out of pocket. Do you kind of see that trend continuing?
1: I think we're seeing that right now. We're seeing that with concierge medicine, right? people are done with the insurance. I mean, let's face it. Insurance is nothing more than a discount plan. That's really all it is, right? Think about my own personal medical. My wife works for a hospital system. I still have a $5,000 deductible. So why would I pay that $5,000? And I do, I like the idea of exactly what you're saying. I do see it headed, especially in medicine, towards catastrophic insurance only, pay cash, go to concierge docs. We see that in dental too. Dental is ridiculous, in that uh, it, most insurance plans only uh, um, allow a thousand dollars a year per person on the policy you know for, for,
0: de- for dental treatment
1: at all Yeah, annually, yep, thousand dollars so and, wow. and by the way, that number's been around. that thousand dollars has been around since the '70s. Back then, a crown was two hundred dollars. Now a crown is fifteen hundred to 25 depending upon the region you're in. What'd you do? I got a thousand dollars off if you're lucky you know, the insurance companies have, you know, ways of making, ah, well, I'm going to pay 800 on that. Um, so it's really just a discount plan. I'd rather have my patients come in and give them a discount right off the top. Don't even bother. I don't have to submit to insurance. I have to change it. I have to chase it. A lot of dentists are going to in-house dental plans. So you pay us monthly a fee. That fee is used and applied to your routine stuff. So you essentially prepay over 12 months for your two a year. And then you get a courtesy off of the fees. And if you add all that up, it's less than if you were paying a premium for an insurance carrier to give you, uh, that, add that do that. So it's about a, about $35 to $50 a month is what an ins- dental insurance plan costs per person. So let's use 50. 50 times 12 is 600. You're paying $600 for a $1,000 benefit. That's a $400 net. I give you a $400 discount. I'll give you a $500 discount <laughs> on some of the fees, right? Yeah. So I see that, I, I see that trend. Uh, going in that direction in our space. And then, like I said, concierge medicine on on the other side. And concierge physical therapy, like somebody I know in Brooklyn, New York.
0: That's right. So, And the reason why I brought that up is because that would kind of, either now or in the future, it kind of factors into valuations, right? It kind of factors into Mm -hmm. the whole, like, everything that we're talking about, like the the whole practice Mm -hmm. dynamic. So the ability to have human capital to pay team members that are great team members and retain them. I mean, the amount that's coming in and... It doesn't matter what percent, I mean, it does matter, but there's going to be a percentage coming from someone's insurance and there's going to be some percentage coming from out of their pocket, private pay, whatever it might be. But all that kind of factors into the individuals and the service and Mm -hmm. where they choose to go or the value of that practice. And that's why I brought it up is because it kind of factors into the whole grouping. It factors into even if it's just one practice that we're talking about and, and valuing the practice, like what's the value of the practice? Because right. that, that income, some of it comes from insurance, some comes from out-of-pocket. So I was just curious about like the splits there. And the, Sure. You know,
1: yeah. The thing with uh, in dental, the thing with the insurance, you hear the PPO side, right, is that there's a little bit more, a little bit easier to market PPO practices because patients in, in the dental space have been conditioned by medical to go to someone on the list. Even though in dental, you don't always have to. A lot of times you have the choice. You're just going to pay a little more out-of-pocket to go to a private doctor. So like on, on a, a fee-for-service practice, we still accept insurance. It's just that they might pay only sixty percent of a fee, as opposed to eighty percent if you were in network, right? So you play that game with with the insurance, but the cash based practices, of course, they're going to get a, I would say, a little bit higher of a bump because their accounts are receivable, nobody's having to chase that money. Time is money. You're you're chasing that money. It costs human capital and their salaries. I mean, I, some of our my old I don't know, giant practice, I had one person I was paying you know sixty five thousand dollars a year. Their entire job was to collect old accounts receivable from insurance companies, right? If it was all cash, or as another practice that I looked at not too long ago, you know, $1,000 AR, strictly a cash-based company. In fact, he, he said, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. You pay me, and then I'm gonna print out the form and you can submit it to your insurance and get reimbursed. Let them do all the work. Brilliant, $1,000 AR. Did his work, got paid every day. Of course, that's gonna have a, a bigger valuation. The negative I see on the buy-sell side of that is, again, being cash-based, pace, especially with a single operator practice, is you're the man. You're the man. And the buyer knows that. They're wise to that. Like We can't lose that guy or that girl. Now, if they've systemized it and they have multiple practitioners within, it's a little bit different. But if you're a solo practitioner and you're the man, and we as dentists like to think that all of our patients cannot be treated by anyone else but us, that drives down your multiple too. So be careful again, go back to what I said, you need to be willing to stay on for a period of time to get a higher multiple. And then you need to really be willing to teach somebody what you know, to get that higher multiple.
0: Yeah. And that was one thing I was thinking about preparing for the show kind of in my mind is like, that's the big difference between dentistry and physical therapy is what I'm seeing is a lot of the dental clinics that even you and Chris have mentioned, it's usually like not Not always, but there's like one dentist versus in physical therapy it's it's like way more common that there's multiple physical therapists yeah. in the same office, and so that owner of the physical therapy office may be treating a little bit, may not be treating maybe an absentee owner, and on average, it seems like the dentistry clinics that you guys have talked about it's usually like that single dentist, shingle. single owner, and mm-hmm. they're producing all or most of the income which. Mm-hmm has its pros and cons, but I mean, in terms of buying physical therapy practices, that's the value of like, if an owner's not treating, the owner's already absentee. So the change in ownership could be easier or it's a little more, it could be safer or more stable because there's other therapists treating the patient. But anyway, I don't want to go too far into that, but that definitely yeah. is
1: a, a um, differentiator, it seems like. It is. It totally is. That It's key man, right? That's what we call the key man. So, and if you're the key man, you have to be willing to, someone's buying you because of what you've done but you're still the key man which means they're going to want you around the longer you commit to it make sure you're in love with everything related to it but the longer you're with it the, the bigger the multiple there's other things you've heard of earnouts and different games there's different games that can be played but you still have to stay on board for sure and and by the way in dentistry you know the, the best selling practices now are the, the single large rooms uh, large ones you know 10, 12, 15 dental chairs where there is a key man doctor, but he or she then has three or four associates. They're all under contract. Those ones tend to be the best. Um, right. The, the, the most valuable ones, I should say.
0: Yeah, because then that's very similar to a lot of physical therapy offices where there's multiple therapists, multiple yeah. providers in the same office. Yeah. Of when,
1: one, one leaves, when one leaves, which inevitably happens, can't keep everybody. one leaves, you're not, you're not at zero cash flow. Right, Um, which I've seen a PE firm make that mistake, get rid of a doctor or doctor leaves, not have a backup plan. Now the office sits idle and loses money because otherwise you got to pay your team. And if they don't have patients, they can't produce, but you're paying them. So now you're losing capital. Um, Not a lot of foresight in that decision. Multiple times. Uh,
0: Final recap, final thoughts for the ideas around potentially merging with colleagues, local practices, local competitors, strength in numbers, Final thought, final recap.
1: I think it's a wonderful way to go. Quite frankly. I think it's a lot easier. Build your own practice, build a great practice, and then pull yourself together with a couple of others. Get a good representative, like I said, a broker, someone like Chris Vanderford or myself. Let us talk for you. Let us pull together everybody. And I think you can I think you can leverage that to a higher multiple and on an exit strategy that you want.
0: Awesome. Well said, Doctor D Todd Russell. Anyone in the audience, if they want to reach out to you, what's
1: a good place? Whether it's sure. email address, uh, LinkedIn, yeah. elsewhere. I'm on LinkedIn under my name. I'm also on. I've got my own website, Dentpreneur uh, My email, D Todd Russell DDS at Gmail. Please feel free. Uh, that's on the on the website as well. Feel free to reach out to me at any time, and be happy to to uh, jump on the phone with you or Zoom.
0: Great. We'll put that below in the show notes. If you are watching or listening, you find this valuable and helpful. Subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube, as well as you can check us out on iTunes and Spotify. We'll catch you next time here. Dr. D. Todd Russell, thanks for your time.
1: Thanks, Dave. Great to be with you, Jay.
0: Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me, shoot me an email at Dave at ConciergePainRelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E PainRelief.com or you can call me at any time 646-781-8884.